Chapter 7, Part 2 of U.S. Marine Operations in Korea, 1950-1953, Volume 2, The Inchon Seoul Operation, by Lynn Montross and Nicholas Canzona. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Securing the Beachhead The Attack on D Plus One the night of 15 to 16 September passed quietly for both of the infantry regiments. At 2000 on D-Day, the 3rd Battalion crossed over the causeway from Womido to rejoin RCT-5. The most dramatic action on either regimental front was an episode in the Cemetery Hill area. Two Marines mistakenly wandered out in front of the high ground and were cut down by enemy fire from a cave at the base of the hill just below the lines of Company A, 5th Marines. Repeated attempts to reach the fallen men were thwarted by submachine gun fire from the recess until a rock interpreter, threatening the use of tanks, persuaded the occupants to surrender. As a squad of North Koreans filed out in submission, troops from Able Company rushed forward to get their two comrades. One of the Marines was already dead, the other lay mortally wounded. In the middle of the night, the 1st and 5th Marines received General Smith's Operation Order 3-50, directing them to attack after dawn. Murray's regiment, by previous plan, would march through the southern part of Inchon, leaving the heart of the seaport to be cleared by the KMC. About three miles inland, the 5th Marines would reach the O2 line, coming abreast of Puller's front of the night before. Thus, the O-1 and O-2 lines were one and the same in the 1st Marine zone. Tied in along the Inchon Seoul Highway at Hill 117, the two regiments would drive eastward to the O-3 line, approximately five miles inland. This last arc was the goal specified in Smith's attack order. Murray's tactical plan was dictated by the simple necessity of getting out of Inchon as quickly as possible. The 5th Marines would therefore attack in a column of battalions, with Royce's second in the lead, followed by the first and third in that order. Two hills, located north of the highway on the outskirts of the city, were designated regimental objectives D and E. In taking this high ground, 2-5 would automatically control the 5th Marine segment of the O2 line and seal off the Inchon Peninsula in conjunction with the 1st Marines. This would leave a secure pocket for the great ship-to-shore buildup commencing on the morning tide. Following a brief orientation at dawn, Captain Jaskilka led Company E forward from the British Consulate. Unopposed, the column passed the inner tidal basin, where Fox Company fell in behind. In the meantime, Company D left its positions atop Observatory Hill and brought up the rear of the battalion formation. Inchon's streets were strangely quiet during 2-5's advance. Frightened civilians peeped from windows and alleyways, but the enemy was nowhere to be found. The sprawling seaport seemed dead. Inconsistencies of the Oriental enemy were exposed in a striking contrast of scenes at 0700. Nearing the edge of the city, Easy Company was preparing to veer off the road and attack Objective D. The troops were encountering no resistance whatsoever, and it was obvious that the North Koreans had abandoned Inchon in haste during the night. Only five miles away, however, six T-34 tanks were rumbling along the highway in broad daylight, headed toward the seaport without infantry escort. 
An eight-plane strike of VMF-214 intercepted the enemy armor at the village of Kensong-ni. As the Corsair swept down on the first pass, one of the tanks was enveloped in flaming napalm. Another was disabled when a rocket hit blew off its tracks. A third was left seemingly helpless on the road, squatting in a pool of motor fuel which poured out of its wounds. Marines of 2-1 watched the show with enthusiasm from the top of Hill 117, less than two miles away. The joy of victory went flat, however, when one of the planes failed to pull out of its dive. Captain William F. Simpson, the pilot, was killed as the F-4U crashed beside the highway. A second flight of VMF-214 descended on the Kaesong-Ni with a vengeance. Rocket fire destroyed one T-34, and a direct bomb hit knocked another off the road. It will be shown shortly that these two tanks must have been the same pair that were severely damaged by napalm and rockets during the first strike. When panicky NKPA crewmen fled to nearby thatched huts for concealment, the dwellings were promptly raised by napalm. Marine pilots, assuming incorrectly that all six tanks lay dead beneath the pall of smoke and flame, turned their attention to other targets in the area. They bombed an enemy jeep and weapons carrier standing in the open, then strafed two other motor vehicles which had been cleverly camouflaged. It would soon become more apparent why Red Leaders in Seoul had sacrificed precious armor in a clearly hopeless thrust against the swelling beachhead. Communications were destroyed, so that NKPA defense forces fought or fled as isolated units. Adequate reserves were not at hand initially, with the result that stopgap detachments were fed piecemeal into battle, only to be flattened by the Marine steamroller. In short, the North Koreans lost control. And when they attempted to regain it, time had run out. While Marine Air hammered the enemy's armored column, the 2nd Battalion 5th Marines deployed outside Incheon. Having made sight contact with Lieutenant Colonel Sutter's troops on Hill 117 at 0730, Captain Jaskilka led Easy Company off the road and toward Objective D on the left. Fox Company continued along the pavement several hundred more yards, then also veered northward in the direction of Objective E. Neither company met opposition, and both were atop their respective hills at 0930. Meanwhile, Company D had advanced eastward on the highway with a platoon of Able Company tanks. There was the occasional whine of a sniper's bullet overhead as the column moved rapidly to its junction with the 1st Marines. At 09, while Easy and Fox Companies were climbing their objectives, Dog made contact with 2-1 at Hill 117. It was its opposite of the 1st Marines that Dog Company of 2-5 met at Hill 117. Fox Company of 2-1 had been clearing the eastern reaches of the Big Ridge since 0615, and Easy was to spend all morning and afternoon securing high ground and a village about a mile off on the right flank. When the attack along the highway resumed shortly after 0900, Company D of the 5th Marines and a platoon of A-tanks took the lead. Fox and dog companies of 2-1 followed in trace and on the right as the formation advanced rapidly against nothing heavier than sniper fire. By 1100, elements of both battalions were deployed at Sogamni, just a few hundred yards short of smoking Kansongni. Since the former hamlet bordered the O3 line, 
The Marines held up to await further orders. To the south of the highway, the 1st Battalion 1st Marines reorganized in the center of Puller's zone and moved forward as regimental reserve. Simultaneously, the 3rd Battalion began its sweep of the Munhong Peninsula, companies G and I attacking generally southward from Hill 233. Since the broad front was studded with high ground and villages, Lieutenant Colonel Ridge relied on LVT transport whenever possible to regain momentum lost to hill climbing and searching. Resistance on the peninsula proved negligible, although once again the capture of prisoners and material revealed enemy potential unused. Among the weapons abandoned by the North Koreans were quantities of rifles and machine guns, a battery of Russian-made 120mm mortars, and four coastal guns, the latter pointing menacingly toward the ships of the attack force anchored in the channel. Although 1-1 and 3-1 did not reach their portion of the objective until later in the day, division headquarters realized by mid-morning that enemy resistance as far out as the O3 line could be discounted. Now that the tremendous obstacles of the actual landing had been overcome, the tactical advantage of the moment swung from the Red Commander at Seoul to General Smith. Owing to the confirmation of the Inchon and Munhong peninsulas, which were linked together inland like Siamese twins, the O3 line formed a front three miles long with both flanks bounded by water. A glance at the map will show the beachhead thus set off as an ideal foothold. To North Koreans thinking in terms of counterattack, the vacuum rapidly being filled by the landing force was a defensible bottleneck. To the Marines, on the other hand, it was the gateway to freedom of maneuver for an overland offensive. Advance to the Force Beachhead Line Opening the gate was the subject of General Smith's Operation Order 4-50, issued by dispatch at 1045, D plus 1. He directed Puller and Murray to continue the attack from the O3 line, seize the Force Beachhead Line, FBHL, and thereby conclude the assault phase of the amphibious operation. The order also marked off a new tactical bomb line, behind which Marine Air was forbidden to strike without ground coordination. Roughly the shape of a right angle, the FBHL corresponded to 10 Corps Phase Line BB. Like the O3 arc, it was anchored on the sea at both ends. The east-west leg of the angle, five miles long, lay above and almost parallel to the Inchon Seoul Highway. The north-south leg, about seven miles inland, added a third projection, the Namdong Peninsula, to the beachhead. Encompassing the built-up centers of Ascom City and Mahangri on the main road, the apex of the FBHL pointed northeast toward Kimpo Airfield like an arrowhead. The Inchon Seoul Highway remained the boundary between the 1st and 5th Marines. Lieutenant Colonel Murray's order went out to the latter before noon, directing a two-pronged assault. The 2nd Battalion would jump off from the O3 line and trace the course of the highway, clearing the hills and villages on the left. Simultaneously, the 3rd was to swing sharply northward from behind 2-5, and attack high ground overlooking the east-west leg of the FBHL. The 1st Battalion would remain in regimental reserve. There were a number of reasons why Colonel Puller's scheme of maneuver was more complex. 
Not only was the 1st Marine's front much wider and the terrain more difficult, but the rapid advance had left troops' units scattered throughout a zone of action some 15 square miles in area. There was considerable shuffling to be done before the regiment could deploy along the highway for the drive to the east. The 2nd Battalion would continue along the MSR, clearing the high ground on the right and coordinating with 2-5 on the left. To the south, the 1st Battalion would move up on the right of the 2nd as quickly as the rugged terrain allowed. The 3rd, after clearing the Munhong Peninsula, was to pass into regimental reserve subsequent to being relieved on the right flank by the reconnaissance company. Swinging around a sharp cove of salt pans and mudflats, the latter unit would patrol the Namdong Peninsula to secure the division right. At 1335, the 5th Marines attacked against minor resistance on the north of the highway. Moving into Kansong-ni, the vanguard of 2-5 and its tank escort approached a sharp bend where the road veered northward for about a mile to avoid two large hills. Around the curve were the enemy tanks believed to have been knocked out by VMF-214 earlier in the day. A section of marine armor turned left off the pavement just short of the bend. The two M26s crawled to the top of a knoll from which they could cover the infantry, as the latter advanced around the corner. Looking down from their vantage point, the tank crew saw three intact T-34s parked in a column on the highway about 300 yards beyond the turn. Hatches on the communist vehicles were buttoned, with the 85mm guns leveled at the road bend. The M-26s opened up immediately. 20 rounds of 90mm armor-piercing AP ammunition crashed into the enemy armor. There was no return fire, probably because the Red Crews had not time to elevate and traverse their manually operated guns. In the space of a few minutes, each of the T-34s exploded and burst into flame. The crews did not escape. The Marine attack rolled past the blazing hulks. Nearby were two other wrecked T-34s, obviously the victims of the air attack. If the pilots of VMF-4214 had attacked a total of six enemy tanks, one of the vehicles must have escaped before the ground troops reached the scene. Tracing the north-south stretch of highway that led to Ascom City, Dog Company of RCT-5 marched a thousand yards beyond the bend and ascended a high hill on the west side of the road. Company F swung out to the left, crossed the railroad tracks running parallel to the highway, and seized the high ground adjacent to that held by Company D. Both assault units encountered only sniping, but it was early evening before the two hills and surrounding low ground had been searched thoroughly. Lieutenant Colonel Royce ordered 2-5 to dig in for the night. He was about 3,000 yards short of the highway's intersection with the FBHL, but his battalion held the commanding ground. Companies D and F defended the approach to Ascom City, which sprawled out on the low ground just forward of their position. Company E, in reserve, set up a perimeter in the battalion rear. Lieutenant Sweet's five M26s, which had supported the day-long advance from Red Beach, were relieved at dusk by the 1st Platoon of Able Company tanks. In addition to their score of three T-34s, Sweet's veterans of the Pusan perimeter had captured an impressive tally of enemy material, three NKPA trucks, 
two 76mm AT guns, two 122mm mortars, and a pair of Russian-manufactured Jeeps. During 2-5's attack along the MSR, the 3rd Battalion 5th Marines was occupied with the hills overlooking that portion of the FBHL to the northwest. Lieutenant Colonel Taplett had launched his drive at 1330 with companies G&I in the assault and H in reserve. On the left, George Company seized its high ground objective at 1440, while Item took an extra hour to clear adjacent Hill 137. There were no Marine casualties during a rapid advance that netted 12 enemy prisoners. Patrols from 3-5 ranged westward to the sea and eastward to the edge of Ascom City, where Item Company troops discovered an enemy ammunition dump and vehicle park. Location of these undefended prizes was promptly reported to the 5th Marine CP. South of the Inchon Seoul Highway, the 1st Marines attacked from the 03 line at 1600. Sutter's 2nd Battalion drove forward on the right of the MSR and passed below Kangsong Ni without incident. Continuing a thousand yards farther, Company D scaled the rugged slopes of Hill 186, cleared the summit, and dug in. Fox Company climbed the same high ground shortly afterwards and went into position on the left of Dog and overlooking the highway. Thus, 2-1's front for the night was across the road and slightly to the rear of the high ground positions occupied by Company D of 2-5. Easy Company returned from its independent mission on the right flank and set up a reserve position in the vicinity of Kangsong Ni, just rearward of Sutter CP at the base of Hill 186. The enemy attitude in the 2nd Battalion zone gradually had developed from occasional sniping early in the day to a pattern of definite light resistance as the Marines surged over Hill 186. Though most of the North Koreans fled after firing a few rounds, their token efforts cost the battalion 4 killed and 10 wounded. These figures are noteworthy in view of the fact that total losses for the whole division on D plus 1 were 4 KIA and 21 WIA. Sutter's troops exacted a comparatively stiff price from the Reds in return, for it was estimated that 120 of the enemy were killed or wounded. Moreover, the Marines captured more than 30 prisoners, 70 rifles, 10 machine guns, and an ordnance dump loaded with small arms ammunition. Elsewhere on the 1st Marines front there was considerably more hiking than combat. The 3rd Battalion completed its sweep of the Munhang Peninsula about 1600 and assembled at the southern tip of the O3 line to await relief by the Reconnaissance Company. In the course of rounding up NKPA prisoners and abandoned weapons, 3-1 had encountered a group of Korean villagers, headed by their schoolmaster, who called themselves the Young People's Anti-Communist Resistance League. They had armed themselves with Russian rifles and light machine guns left behind by enemy troops fleeing inland. In the center of Polar Zone, the 1st Battalion had moved rapidly to fill the gap between the 2nd and 3rd. Attacking into the vacuum left by the retreating enemy, Hawkins' unit drove two mountainous miles beyond the O3 line, finally stopping for the night on high ground about 2,500 yards south of 2-1's positions on Hill 186. The break in the regimental front was protected when 3-1 shifted northward and formed a reserve perimeter to the rear of the lines, after being relieved on the right at 1700 by Captain Kenneth J. Houghton's reconnaissance company. 
Assuming responsibility for the division's southern flank, the recon troops set up a night defense at the base of the Namdong Peninsula with their front linked to that of 1-1 on the left. Displacement ashore of Division CP The establishment of a Division CP on shore was delayed by the necessity of utilizing every minute of the limited periods of high tide for the movement of troops, supplies, and equipment. General Smith decided on D-Day that it would not be advisable to displace his CP ashore until General Craig and the ADC Group, former headquarters of the 1st Provisional Marine Brigade, were able to set up adequate communications. With this object in mind, the ADC Group landed on the evening high tide of D-Day to locate an advance echelon on Womido. Not much could be done that evening. And in the morning, Craig informed C.G. First Mardiv that the island was too crowded. He reported that he and Lieutenant Colonel Stewart had discovered a likely spot on the southeast outskirts of Inchon and recommended that the CP be moved without delay. General Smith approved and the move started at once. Meanwhile, a good deal of military housekeeping had been accomplished in the Inchon port area. Lieutenant Colonel John H. Partridge's 1st Engineer Battalion was given the task of making a survey of beach exit roads with a view to opening up an MSR between red and blue beaches. After elements of Company A hit Green Beach, the remaining troops of the battalion had landed on the two beaches and assisted shore party units at unloading water, ammunition, and rations. This work was so well along by the morning of D plus 1 that the engineers opened up the MSR between the two beaches and assigned personnel for improvement and maintenance. A water point was established at the north end of Red Beach with 31 distillation units and 125,000 gallons were issued during the next six days. The new division CP on the outskirts of Inchon was ready by the afternoon of D plus one and General Smith said goodbye to General MacArthur on the bridge of the Mount McKinley. The commander-in-chief wished him well and enjoined him to take Kimpo Airfield at the first opportunity. The Marine General landed at Yellow Beach at 1730. Upon arrival at the CP, he sent a dispatch to Admiral Doyle informing him that he was assuming responsibility for the conduct of operations ashore at 1800 on 16 September. Thus ended the amphibious assault phase, almost exactly 24 hours after the first wave of Marines set foot on Red Beach. End of Chapter 7, Part 2, read by Aaron Bennett.